Oh, last time on Dice Funk. All right, and then I, after the all of the slime and monstrous goo comes out of me, I say, I say, now I will be a part of your restaurant forever. I don't know if anyone's seen the genius eat before. <laughs> has has the genius ever ordered anything in the restaurant? No. Obviously, only if you consent to having your brain eaten after death, because at slime, as you remember, it's very important that you get people's agreement before you eat brains. Not everyone is chill about it. I think there are probably two ways to deal with this. Maybe one, find the body of the person who so tragically starved to death and put them to rest. Or two, eat the possessed food and die. Yeah, so Aze is going to cast Speak with Animals as a ritual and then regard the shores for a little bit. Now I'm styling. You uh, sure are there. Do you have a name? Oh, it's uh, it's not pronounceable in your language, but I guess now because of this snazzy scarf, you can call me Drip. The gods died, but you do not. At that time, I wasn't as complex as I am now. So Neelith is going to um, place her frying pan against the creature and cast heat metal. Yeah! Yeah, That's really good. Yeah, do it! And then I grab pieces of the monster and start shoving it down my throat as fast as I can. So, like, as you say this, Aze, who's collapsed to the ground because he takes one hit and is near death every single time in a fight, and the beam from the moon just passes through Slime's body. As Neelith is placing my body very nicely, my two split halves, um, all the slime on and inside my body starts to like ooze out, and then it forms the letters BRB, and then slithers off to the graveyard and finds a good body. Is this like a beach episode? Uh, no. Uh, unfortunately, if by beach you mean snow, and you know, in, in in terms of water, you mean delicious food. I mean, it's, uh, it's gonna have the energy of a beach episode. We we do. That's exactly it. That's yeah. what I'm asking. Like for any, for anyone who's not been a Dice Funk listener before, what what what's the structure of a downtime episode usually like, Austin? What do we do with these? So in Dungeons and Dragons, you level up. I feel like everyone's familiar with that concept. It's basically leaked into every other entertainment product. Yeah, there, are, there are ways you can do that. You can do that by uh, getting experience points when you defeat monsters and stuff that the the book has very complicated rules about. Or you can do milestone leveling up, which is what we do. Mm-hmm. Whenever you finish an arc, uh, you gain a bunch of stuff, and then you tell the audience about your stuff, and you narrativize the stuff. It's very stuff-heavy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're all level six. Oh, I get a bunch of cool stuff for level six. Uh, let me let me pull up my list. Um, 
So I, I get some more HP. Uh, I get a new Bard College of Creation feature called Animating Performance, which means that I can make a thing sort of that isn't supposed to move. I can make it dance around for a little bit of time. It'll be used exclusively for BR guest uh, musical numbers. That is 100% what I was about to to get to is like, I'm, I'm, there's going to be a point at some point where I'm making a, a, a dish and someone happens to poke their head through the kitchen door and they will see that I'm making like the sausages dance their way across the table into the frying pan. Like that's of course happening. <laughs> this is just reminding me of that car dance of the manse from Eldraine, that uh, lovely. <laughs> I was, obviously I was also thinking of that, but now we're narrow casting. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's, the garlic and the onions are having a nice little ballroom dance in the corner until it's time for them to be d- diced up. That is purely what I would use this spell for. I mean, that's an unconventional way, but sweating them out definitely helps the flavor <laughs> and melts them down a bit, so, yeah. Uh, I also now have uh, Counter Charm, which basically is like, hey, it's it's going to be real hard to, to use charming magic to m- magically make me like people. Um, I have a new spell and a new third level spell slot, and my new spell is Tongues, which basically means that I can do some magic and understand every language and always be able to speak at least one understandable language to people. So no no more I don't have a shared language to talk to this cheese ghost. They've had like 40 years to change the name of that spell and they keep not taking it because it is evocative of a very cool magical use that really does not pay off at its actual abilities. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's what I, I get for level six. That's my new stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh so for for my downtime scene this week, um I, I, I think we we'd start over at the Wind and Dined Flayer. Uh Neelith has invited Slime over because new uh vegan brain alternative uh recipes to try. So I think I think uh we maybe start the scene with Neelith bringing over some uh, some soy napses as a as a starter. <laughs> I get it. Yeah, yeah, that's a thing. Um, <laughs> Joe, I listened to the last episode. She's like, "You have to stop leaving Laura hanging for the puns." I'm like, "I'm not. I just don't. I don't want to interrupt." <laughs> you have to acknowledge I did a good pun. I worked hard on these puns. I need I need validation. <laughs> <laughs> They're very good. Uh, I think in it, it, I, I'm gonna serve it up with. Sorry, I've got at least one more pump for today. Uh, gonna serve it up with um, a can of energy. Think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nice. I'm glad that one landed. It's like energy drink, but it's thought based. Like, mm-hmm. Oh my god. <laughs> uh, so so Neelith is gonna bring out a couple of um, portions of of brain-based foods and go, uh, so how, how are you, how are you doing, Slime? Good, good to see you're alive again. How are you, how are you doing? Never died. And then I put my face face down into the food and I eat it. Just suck it into my body. Yeah, I, yeah, makes sense that you didn't die. Dying is, is typically hard to come back from. What it, if you don't mind me asking, what did happen? Well, I technically died. I experienced the act of dying, but I did not die. How? How? What? What kind of experience is that? <laughs> the body is no longer able to function whatsoever. So then I abandoned it. 
That's simple, huh? Yeah. If the brain is completely destroyed, I can't function or move it or use it in any way. Did... I'm assuming you went back and ate brain at some point. Oh, the brain was mostly gone already. There's only a certain amount of time I can keep using a body before it um, it can't be used anymore. Ah. Bodies continue to rot. The cold was keeping this one mostly intact, but there was several instances of irreparable damage that made it seem like I needed to move on to the next one. That's that's fair. I imagine the winter's pretty pretty good for you then. Better chance of them sticking around a bit longer. It depends on how fast I want to eat. I have, I guess, the luxury that I can, I I can get my my brain brain I can get my brain feeding on without having to you know actually use anyone up. I can just sit and yum 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 tasty thoughts around me. Different micronutrients are available depending on how much of the body has been decomposed, much like wine for humans. Like an anti-wine, it gets it gets worse with time. Well, it's subjective. Eating uh, rotten grape juice seems unappetizing to some, and yet many do it. Does it ever take you time to get used to a new body? After taking over so many, it gets easier every single time. It only takes time to adjust to different amounts of strength and height and movement. Yeah, I, yeah, I imagine that must be the case. If after you've done, done this, however goodness many times you must have done at this point, not as many as you would think, but more than you can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> I. That sounds about right, actually. <laughs> you know, you know how you know how we work. I've I've done the body thing once. Um, definitely a lot less experience. Did you die? I didn't die. I just, you know, I was a tadpole, and then I I I I, I was in a body that I wasn't in before, and you know that's. But when you changed from a tadpole to now, did you die or did you change? Oh changed definitely wasn't death had to get used to having like limbs and size world's world's much smaller when you're bigger hmm that's very true the world is very big to me now anyway how are you finding the food how's the food the food is as always nutritionally sufficient <laughs> thank you no yeah no no i, I I tried real hard on this one to find. I've, I've been trying to mess around with magic a little bit to see if anything I do with flavor combinations and magic can make a feeling come, like an emotion come across in the food to try and get some of that brain experience across. Any, any, any emotions coming through in this? I feel desperate agony and longing for death. Did you use those plants that were screaming the other day? Is that what you used? I did use I did use the fossil sprouts. I'm I'm glad to hear that the terror did convey over into the food. That is Thank you for bringing life to a creature only for them to suffer just so I can enjoy it. Thank you. I gave them sapience and sentience. Might as well find out if that means anything once they go back to being plants. Right, right. They suffered. Only for entertainment. I get it. Uh, no, they, they, 
they suffered with the burden of knowledge in order to help us because there was a mission to be done. You burdened them just so they could please me. I see. I don't Thank know. You. Most plants, most plants I bring to life are pretty chill about it. The fossil. Yes, most of them liked it, but not this one. Right. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> Next time, I will try feeding you one of the ones that had a real super chill time about, like, hey, I'm pretty jazzed to live, even if it's only for a little bit, and see if they taste different. <laughs> yes. Bring consciousness to those who would never have known they were going to die. I am consistently fascinated by you. Thank you for being you. (laughs) I think the restaurant doors open and uh, Farmer Applewhite comes in with like a crate of food for you, Neolith, and just like strolls into the restaurant like, oh, hi there. How are you doing, slime? Did you do something different with your hair? I changed bodies. Oh, that'll do it. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for noticing. Did you do something to your hair? Oh, it's funny you say that. <laughs> I think the sideburns are coming in real good. Wow. They look like hair. <laughs> they sure do, Slime. You know, I, I brought what I could salvage from the, the tussle over at the farm. Uh, I think if the seeds you brought back take root, uh, we should be able to make up whatever was lost. But uh, we're cutting it close this winter. Are you going to torture these two? Oh, no, what? Torture? No, dear. You, you know how the fossil sprouts uh, weren't so chill about sentience? Apparently that, that comes across in, in the meals. <laughs> oh, well, that's a shame. This is such a wholesome place, she says. As In the background, you see the, like, the kitchen doors get opened by like the tussling of the plants who don't want to die and all <laughs> the, co- the cookware that you have animated. And so the, like, the, ni- the knives have come to the life and are stabbing arbitrarily into the vegetables. You don't, get to, you don't get to be funny about this one. You're the one who gave the fossil sprouts uh, existential dread. This is on you. That's exactly why I get to be funny about it. This is my punchline for my setup. That's comedy, baby. Comedy. Um, but I just like that you've also, the power you explicitly are, are getting this episode and you're demonstrating for the audience is your ability to make uh, inanimate objects come to life. So I definitely want to get that in the background. It's just like all the stoves singing a little stove song, cutting board, doing a little dance. Uh, yes. It's like Beauty what? and the Beast, but everyone's trying to escape. Yes, exactly. What if Beauty and the Beast was the raid redemption? I, mm-hmm. I, I do have to throw in that there is that there is a garbage disposal in the corner that's singing a little song about how it really doesn't enjoy its role <laughs> in the whole kitchen. Oh no, the garbage disposal doesn't enjoy. I thought it would be like yes. More, more blood for the blood god. I suppose so. Maybe it is just there, like, please feed me more. I, I crave, I crave your trash. <laughs> this is an important thing to establish, Laura. Do your, do your animated instruments become Warhammer characters? Or are they wholesome? <laughs> because either one could be very funny. Uh, they're wholesome. Um, I, I, I. See, now that you've mentioned it, I can't picture anything other than a very like big-eyed cute Disney art style garbage disposal wanting to be fed trash. That's all that's stuck in my head now. It's, okay, so the cleaver has googly cute eyes and it's like, exactly. I love cutting up meat! <laughs> <laughs> oh no, the, the voice! The bottle of dish soap in the corner is like, I need replacing soon! <laughs> <laughs> I did such a good job with all the blood! <laughs> 
<laughs> I imagine one side is like Beauty and the Beast cutlery, and the other side is the Little Mermaid Sebastian song where he's trying to run away from the chef. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it don't happen on the <laughs> Um. Yeah, so basically, Farmer Applewhite just wants to let you all know that the farm situation has resolved in kind of a complex way. Uh, you brought seeds back from the cart, but some food was destroyed in the fight. So basically, all 10 NPCs, in addition to being resources you can use uh, to like visit to help solve mysteries and arcs throughout this season, mm-hmm. uh, they all each have their own stuff going on. <laughs> I think everyone on this yeah. call is a fan of like Mass Effect, probably two specifically, Fire Emblem, Persona, those kind of games where each each side character has their own... like meter you can fill to like learn about them and see what they're all about i only like andromeda <laughs> that's not a person who exists okay. um wait for real no although no. i do actually like andromeda i liked it more upon revisiting i like two the most uh thank but I you do for saying like the right thing yeah. yeah i can see someone liking andromeda earnestly if they were sexually attracted to bugs and glitches uh, Oh, I was like, are there bug pe- are there bug people in that? And I was like, no. First of all, Garrus Vicarian kind of looks like a bug. He's got an exoskeleton, so stop hating on bug lovers, <laughs> all right? <laughs> Second of all, Andromeda didn't even pay attention to a single word of lore the entire game. Yep. Lore is for cowards. Why would a female Salarian want to be a secretary to a male Salarian? That doesn't make sense. So before Apple White uh leaves uh leaves the restaurant, um Neelith's gonna try and reassure um Yeah, so any of the smashed up s- stuff, I, I've done my best to dice it up, make stews, make soups, um try and salvage what I can out of the stuff that's a little mangled. Making sure as much of it doesn't go to waste as possible. Well, thank you, dear. Uh, I'm, I'm going to use my anti-frost magic and so forth to try to get these seeds to take grip in the ground. I'll let you know if uh, I need some help, but only time will tell with these things. And I know that I'm kind of uh, uh, I'm kind of tiptoeing on the on the bar's territory here by having drinks. But would you like to before you go try? I've got a new drink. I've, I've something I've been considering serving. Oh, I, I always like to wet my whistle. Well, it's it's a pineal colada. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's very good. <laughs> if I draw enough of these out, some of them will land. <laughs> some of them will land. That's right. Uh, yeah. So basically, I just want to introduce the the gameplay mechanic. Essentially, that every NPC, all ten of them, have their own thing, and you can choose to engage or not. So you can tell all these people to go fuck themselves, and that will also be a story. It might not be the kind of story you like, but that's an option. <laughs> have you ever done a run, Mari, in Mass Effect Two, where all your where all your characters die, just the entire crew gets slaughtered? No, absolutely <laughs> not. I no. watched the video of it. Like I watched someone's like. Mm-hmm screenshot like uh, cutscenes of it and spoilers for Mass Effect 2 but one of the people if you don't do anything has to get carried off by the bug monsters and it was Grunt the little like little stubby <gasps> Krogan My and boy? it's him like getting carried away and he's like Shepard and I was like no this is this is this is torture I cannot physically watch this <laughs> I did let Morden die my first three or four times because I heard him say I made the Jenna fa- and I was like murderer death yeah. <laughs> Death to you. 
All right, so that was uh, Neela's scene. Uh, you, your restaurant is now full of animated uh, Disney cutlery, and you have an update on the farm situation. Who else is at level six? I'm at level six. Hell yeah. Not a lot happened at level six, not gonna lie to you. Uh, level six is kind of boring. Uh, I grabbed a spell. I don't remember which one. I think knock. That sounds about right. Um, and I got a plus one to my AC. So, you know, things are going pretty good. Yeah. A lot of people, I think, are confused if they haven't checked the character sheet. They think you're an artificer. You are a warlock. Yeah, I'm a warlock. Okay. There's, you actually, before the season started, uh, turned in a artificer character sheet and then that changed. Do you want to address that? Do I? Um, actually, before I do that, I should introduce myself. My name is Chris Larios, Rolo T. You can find me at <laughs> patreon.com slash weeklymongerecap. Also on YouTube and iTunes. Gotta get the plugs in there. Chris the Chaos Goblin <laughs> who only introduces himself when not asked to. Exactly. You <laughs> all are suckers. That's a great joke, honestly. You can have that one. That one's very funny. <laughs> that ruled. Um, but, uh, so I was preparing to be an artificer who was going to have, the? Uh, I think the artillerist is the name of it. You basically would make little constructs and I was going to fashion myself as like, in a, like a, a, like wacky clockwork toy general master basically. Uh, but then I did the kill frosty one shot and one of my players just did that idea far better than I ever could have. No one can touch it now that Garbo's done it, in my opinion. So I was like, all right, I'm going to come up with something different. All-time name MVP Garbo Gutter Slump. <laughs> he's the worst. I assume he's like still exists in the Dice Funk universe as this villain no one can stop. His capitalism is too strong. <laughs> Just completely undefeatable. That's why he'll never show up on the show, because it would be an instant total party kill. Well, I, I also think that this allows for some interesting exploration of like patrons warlocks and stuff like that which is always fun so all right so what is uh the genius of grendel do on their downtime uh well they are gonna head over and talk to their very good friend shoko the blacksmith because gotta find out some progress updates yeah we actually have a lot to talk about with shoko first we got to have to introduce the uh the area the setting the building that's associated with this character which is uh they call it the scrapyard everyone else calls it the dump because it's where all the trash in the village goes. Uh, it is just a huge uh, pile of garbage uh, that just uh, dominates the kind of the non-touristy part of the village. Like that you don't want people coming in to spend money to see this. So it's kept like further up in a way. Uh, but you can see it coming from a pretty long way off and probably smell it too. Although the, the snow is picking up and maybe that's that covers some of it. Um, so you can see this big towering pile of junk from quite a ways away. Um, as you get closer, I would say you can probably hear the sounds of hammering and uh, maybe small explosions because Shoko and you have a lot in common on your character sheet. You're, she She's your bond. Um, you, you, you are an inventor. She is a blacksmith. So you have a lot to talk about. Uh, I have to say right away that she is a gremlin. Yes. Which you will not find in the Dungeons and Dragons monster manual. Um, so there's a lot. There's a lot. We could spend a whole episode just talking about lore implications of this. Red was my favorite color in Kaladesh, and gremlins were the tribal creature for that set and that color. Yeah, I understand. They swapped them out for goblins, and they have these cute little snouts. Actually, I really like the Kaladesh gremlins. We 
We own a at our store. We have a plushie that you can op- like you can open up its belly and use it as a dice bag. It'll never sell because no one knows what it is. Not even Magic players. They're yeah. like, what is that? And I'm like, you don't remember the gremlins from Kaladesh? And they're like, if it wasn't a broken artifact, I don't. So yeah. <laughs> this is like a niche within a niche within a niche. But I am also yeah. on the same page as you. Uh, so the thing about Dungeons and Dragons is like 99% of its material comes from mythology, Greek mythology mostly, Norse, Egyptian. It's all like public domain, which is why the spinoff Pathfinder just uses 99% of that stuff because none of it is owned by them with a few uh, exceptions, which are like called product identity, notably Illithids and Beholders, I would say are the two big ones. Yep. Um, Gremlins are not in Dungeons and Dragons because they are not from mythology. Uh, they are actually a superstition arising from World War II. Uh, if you've ever seen the classic Bugs Bunny cartoon where <laughs> Bugs is serving in World War II because that happened a lot uh there's this gremlin who keeps like taking apart his airplane and that was like the idea is like why are all these airplanes failing it's not because we're using 40s planes it's because there's gremlins in there it's just kind of a folk ex- explanation that came around at that time um the really that the popular culture identity of gremlins has only ever been really to my mind at least uh set in stone once by the 80s slightly racist film gremlins mm-hmm. and i guess gremlins too, the new batch yep joe dante is a comrade we love the work even if it's problematic <laughs> but that's what not about the twilight kind of... the movie huh i'm not twilight the twilight zone movie yeah oh. the shatner something mm-hmm. on the wing yep yep mm-hmm. yes that that's also taking from that same yeah the idea that gremlins take apart airplanes is really their entire identity and so yeah shoko the blacksmith is very much taking things well, apart and of course the classic treehouse of horror say spoof of that where bart's on a bus with a gremlin and then they force a gremlin vehicle off the road and explode we can't no one can forget that obviously i have a gamer gremlin figure right next to me i just wanted to brag about having it that's it oh that's nice <laughs> so i will say that uh gremlins are not in D, but they are in the spinoff pathfinder uh, which is where I'm taking a lot of this from. Specifically, uh, there's a couple different like sub gremlins. Like every creature has like you know three or four types. It's like mm-hmm. usually like the fire version, the dark version, whatever. Uh, specifically, the one I'm going with is a uh, one that is is referencing a another different superstition. Specifically, uh, something called the Kelly Hopkinsville encounter, mm. which is a, when a creature was seen in uh, Kentucky. And this cre- this creature, once again, this is like a rabbit hole. You're like, what the fuck are you talking about, Austin? Here's what I'm saying. Do you know the Pokemon Sableye? Hell yeah. Yes. Mm. I, I really like shiny Sableye. It's, it's, it's gold with yellow jewels for eyes. It's very good. Yeah. So if you see this picture of Shoko that Cosmignon did for this show, a thing you'll notice about her is she has these, like... Um, she, she has like o- like almost like the sable eye blue eyes and behind her like welding goggles here. Uh, but gremlins are very small, even smaller than goblins. Essentially, gremlins are to goblins as goblins are to hobgoblins. It's like a having, having, having process, like Zeno's paradox, if you know that. Nice. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> That's for all my ancient philosophy nerds out there. Uh, so she's very small, like even smaller than you know, Neelith or I guess the genius of the Grendel. Uh, she has really long uh, lagomorphic ears, like, you know, like a rabbit, essentially, like long and they flow back. Um, and she's wearing just like a uh, blacksmith's apron. Um, and so she is very tiny. I think as you roll up on the uh, the scrapyard genius, uh, you probably have to shout <laughs> to be heard over the din. But there's like a security gate. Like you go into the front of the blacksmith's 
you know, shop area. But then behind that is like a gate to get into the scrapyard and it's locked. And, you know, she's back there hammering on something. Uh, well, I will say, Shaka, I have learned a new spell. And I'm going to cast knock and blow open the doors. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. I didn't set that up specifically for your new spell, but yeah, knock. It, it, the spell just opens locked things. It's it's called knock because it makes a knock noise. I don't know if you actually read the description at any time in the history. When you cast a spell, a, lot, a loud knock audible from as far away as 300 feet emanates from the target object. That It's one of the various ways they've made the spell less broken than it was in third edition. <laughs> um, so yeah, so yeah the, the gate flies open and I think you hear Shoko say, <laughs> you know the rules. You got a snack or you can't open the gate. Oh, yes. What would you like for a snack? Snack, 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 snack. Uh, so what uh, does Shoko generally consider a snack? I mean, anything. I think specifically what you usually do because Shoko plays this game where, you, you know, she trades you stuff for food because you don't eat mysteriously i think often uh when neil no, no it's not that i don't eat no one's ever seen me eat. very different i was thinking that like you know Neilith is constantly trying to pawn food off on you and then you know you just give that to shoko or some of it at least because i think last episode Neilith put a little bento box on your chair and you just drove away with it yeah uh then i will hmm do I go too extra with this? Yes. I'm going to put the bento box uh, in front of where I fire up my crossbows and then slam the button to fire a crossbow so it comes <laughs> via crossbow delivery system. <laughs> All right. I'm going to roll dexterity to catch the bento. There you go. 16. Hell yeah. When 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 this bento get, gets opened up, uh, I, want, I want it to be noted that like some of the food's been laid out in such a way as to spell out to my lovely friend, the genius. Uh uh-huh i yes i think shoko sees that and goes who's the genius nobody knows (laughs) oh well mysteries 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 excellent when they open their mouth it's just like wall-to-wall razor shark teeth just going to town on this food here I think Shoko would be pretty terrifying as if she wasn't so small. She she's so small. Actually, that was like the one one of the only notes I gave Cosby now when she designed all the all the NPCs. She kept sent me the art for Shoko, and I was just like, smaller. <laughs> she she's tight, so tiny, so tiny. Uh, but yeah, she's like hopping around like a little bunny from like project to project here. There's all kinds of things half disassembled. You see, uh, you know, carts that people brought. You see all kinds of weapons that have been melted down and broken. You see mysterious artifacts from the surface at the, you know, the portal through the, at the top of the mountain. Uh, Shoko loves breaking things more than she loves fixing things. That's kind of your uh, scene is inventing. <laughs> we do a little bit of both, though. Uh, so the genius is going to say, I have come with very interesting progress reports. Give me, Tigog, I need. Yes, when I told you before, I have started to bend space and time to my will. This time I made Greece better. (laughs) An an equally important advancement. Yay! I'm going to fire out a Grease for spell. (laughs) Just into the... Soon, space and time will be bendable and greasy. I will be able to push it wherever I want. What should we push first? I already pushed uh, Gigi's desk, so we do not need to do it again. But it would be fun to do it again. 
What's something we can push into the past? Mm, interesting. To lottery numbers. TGOG, we have to push lottery numbers into the past. Do we have a lottery system here in Grendel? Yeah, it's called politics. Oh, interesting. <laughs> now, what would you like to send back? Which numbers? <laughs> oh, mm. what's your favorite number? I like 15. It's very sassy. I like eight because when you turn it on its side, it goes on forever. Eight is too curvy. It's tempting me. Oh, sometimes you must be allured in by the curves. No, it's too dangerous. All right, well, you write the number 15 on this piece of paper, and I will write the number 8 on this piece of paper, and then I shall bend space-time, and you shove them in. <laughs> okay. Do you want to roll to try to send something back in time using grease? Yes. Every scene with Chris, I never know where it's going. <laughs> Neither do I. Science. We just hallucinate. We're, we're just doing ancient fucking ayahuasca rituals together, Chris. Mm-hmm. Intelligence uh, check, I guess. Inte intelligence. All right, baby. That's a 21. Um, okay. I'm going to say something I'm going to regret. I know already okay. that I regret it, but can I say it out loud? Yes. What if we have a subplot, a subquest, like an extra credit quest, where you try to scientifically invent the spell Time Stop? Okay. <laughs> which you will never achieve in-game because the level requirements, I believe you get at like level 17 as a wizard or something. Our campaign's not going to get that far. But what if you do enough experiments to invent minor time manipulation? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm all for it. <laughs> okay. Well, with a 21... This is the spark. Yeah. What does this look like? Because I'm I'm envisioning a rule of threes kind of storytelling situation here where if you, during three downtimes, you can invent time travel. Uh, so I imagine uh, I've shot out my grease, shot out into the air, and then I'm going to do my uh, the hando, and I'm going to create my, my barrier space time, and then Shoko's just gonna push a bunch of pieces of paper into it, and there's like a weird uh, explosion of electricity. Of purple electricity. Okay, purple electricity. I think uh, Shoko sees that, and uh, her blue eyes uh, glisten at this, and she seems extremely excited, and she says, the machine has blessed us. Absolutely. So my assumption is that you've told Shoko about the machine, which is your warlock patron. Ha Does everybody know how closely guarded secret is this? I believe Shoko has it, but I don't know. Like, it sounds like this place is not the highly trafficked spot. Uh-huh. So I don't know if anyone's ever come. I don't know if you specifically said that Shoko has it. I was, yeah, I'm, le I'm leaving blank space. Here's kind of where I want to establish this, because I think there's a version where this is just you two keeping this to yourself. And there's also a version where like the team is in on it or something. Uh, both, both I think could be interesting. I imagine people have probably heard the genius refer to the machine, but probably in the same way people have heard very refer to the Trinity mm -hmm. or things like that. I don't know if anyone really puts a whole lot of stock into it. Oh, yeah, yeah, I like that. So you're not deliberately trying to keep this secret, but you're not going out of your way to, like, sh you know, show everybody everything. They can, you know, care if they want to. All the signs are there. 
<laughs> what does it look like? Here's like where I want to like the camera pans away from this to to reveal the machine. Well, the machine itself is mostly encased in ice. There's just a little bit of it that's cracked that you can see into. And all you see are just a couple of gears turning right now. So like the scrapyard's almost built on top of it. And it's not like you're deliberately hiding it so much as it's just convenient to have all this scrap near the machine where you can do experiments. And it just so happens to kind of camouflage from nosy people. Well, especially because when you go by to see Shoko, all you get is like a lot of high energy and you have to bring food. And then there's a chance she might just rip everything you have apart. Yeah, she finished the bento and now she's eating a shield. Yeah, I mean, hey, you got to do what you got to do. It's leather. <laughs> uh, okay, so there's just these couple of spinning gears sticking out of the the permafrosted ground here in the middle of the scrapyard. And there's all these piles of, you know, refuse and uh, broken things all around it. But so we can you feel it? Does it call to you with feelings or words? How does the genius of Grendel experience the machine? Capital T, capital M. Uh, I believe the way they experience it is, uh, hmm, that's a complicated question that I think we'll get more clarity on as time goes on. But uh, communication seemed to strike mentally. Whether or not there's a voice that's speaking to them or not, it's up in the air. Until Austin actually physically has something to say something. <laughs> yeah, I like to let these things kind of unfold organically. Everybody here is a co-author, so I don't like to, you know, just unilaterally decide things. I think we're going to sketch this out as we go. I do want to say, though, Shoko, I mean, when she found the machine or, or when she was made aware of the machine, her immediate impulse was to try to break it. <laughs> just like hit the gears with hammers and stick things in there, try to get it to stop. And when she was eventually, you know, she became accustomed to the idea that was not going to work eventually. And she has given up more or less on that. But she <laughs> that was her first thing was like, I got to jam stuff in these gears. Mm -hmm. okay. Don't we all? <laughs> I don't know what that means. Shoko, how are you doing? Mm, you know, this is a hard time for me, T-Gog. All the people left. There's no new trash. I'm just stuck with all the old stuff. You would be happier with more things to put apart and break? More things, more things. Things give me brain chemicals. Oh, I think I can help you. I have something in the works, though it might be quite some time before it happens. Is it birthday? Perhaps. Actually, how about this? And I'm going to toss Shoko a dagger. Okay. Is this a dagger that you just have a nat naturally as part of your warlock thing? Yeah, you just get daggers as a warlock, <laughs> so it's in my inventory. I'm yeah. going to toss Shoko a dagger, and I'm going to say, Cut off my arm! <laughs> <laughs> Episode four. We're already, we're just cutting off limbs. Cut off my arm! Um, <laughs> Shoko looks around like she's on candid this camera. Is a very, this is a very weird form of pull my finger. This is a very, very weird... Uh, are you sure? Absolutely. You trust in the machine, do you not? Uh, it spins so beautifully. Yes, it does. All right, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it right. And I would expect nothing less than your finest work. She climbs up on like a big pile of like sheet metal to get like, you know, 
20 feet off the ground, and then she does a diving plunge with this dagger. <laughs> because she's a tiny gremlin, and she thinks Absolutely. in her mind that this will give her what she needs to cut your arm off. I don't know if it, I'm going to roll for it. Let's see. Uh, strength, which is going to be minus five. Uh, 11 still, honestly, not bad. It's pretty good. I think that gets halfway through. Uh, do you help her cut your arm off or do you just let her? No, this is her. This is, this is her enjoyment right now. (laughs) She gets to take something apart. Yeah. Uh, she jumps off this huge thing of metal, lands on you basically and, you know, jams the dagger into your arm only gets like to the bone and it has to like physically climb up on the dagger and then jump and slam her body weight down on it to like cut through. Um, we got dark very quickly, folks. Uh-huh. Uh, and your arm f- fucking gets chopped off. What is that? Like, I mean, painful. It is rather painful. Uh, should I roll a constitution to see how well I hide it? Yeah, I would. Uh, 17. So relatively well. Stoic ass goblin. Yeah. Uh, the genius is just going to say, fine work, Shoko. And how do you feel? Uh, yeah, Shoko, after stomping on the dagger to send it the rest of the way through your arm, tumbles off your chair and onto the ground. The dagger goes flying, blood starts spraying, and Shoko's like, Ah, it's so good to be alive! Yes, and what better thing than a repurposeful tool? And, uh, the genius is going to use Mage Hand to pick up their arm, and they're going to hover it in place next to where it was just dismembered from, and they're going to cast the spell Mending. And one of the features from my new Warlock thing that I didn't specifically mention is that I could reattach missing limbs using Mending. So there's going to be basically like little blood vessels, and then kind of mixed with wires are going to pull out and connect the two pieces of the genius's body together until it all connects up seamlessly we're gonna out cyberpunk cyberpunk exactly fuck them losers (laughs) yeah so mending normally only works on non-organic so you you have a special ability as a warlock of the machine that this works on your flesh although it becomes less fleshy and I think like that's a hard cut on the scene unless you have more is just your arm no, sewing just... itself back together with arteries and wire and then hard cut to black. Yeah. Awesome. Jeez, damn it, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Not bad. I didn't expect to cut off my arm today, but it came up naturally. <laughs> I thought it was awesome. Uh, I like that the dice funk definition of came up naturally is you just suggest stuff to a gremlin. <laughs> I heard that she wanted to take things apart, and I was like, well, you could just take my arm apart Oh God, forever. I could just keep repairing it. That's how it works sometimes. Sometimes you yeah. say something, and you don't know it's going to mean there's going to be a bloody dismemberment. You let me go back in time, Austin. You set yourself up for this. Is it post-goblinism instead of post-humanism if it's like... <laughs> <laughs> cyberpunk 2077 but goblins uh-huh that would have yeah. been better <laughs> okay so for Ozzy, Ozzy is a level six he is maintaining the druid um lineage so that means he gets an extra spell he can prepare he has an extra spell slot um and as level six that means that he unlocks a new feature of his druid circle and me and my ever 
unnecessary efforts to rename features um, have taken the level six star, uh, star druid feature, Cosmic Omen, and because of the nature of the star system that we have here, I renamed it to Cosmological Relationship. And so what it basically amounts to is rolling a die and assessing the relationship between the foundation and the firmament, the stars below and above, and whether they are in a positive relationship or a benefic relationship or a negative relationship, a malefic relationship, it allows him the ability to manipulate other people's roles um, a few number of times per day. I like D&D because it lets you use words like malefic, which you really don't get to bust out at your average, you know, day job. Well, normally, normally it was wheel and woe, which I'm like, that's boring. I'm going to steal for Final Fantasy 14 again and call it benefic and malefic, which I think is great because those actually tie to astrological relationships, which plays well with our campaign setting here. So, also, I mean, even wheel is something I, I don't really get to say that often. Wheel, mm-hmm, W E A L. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, yep. Which is, uh, it all plays out very nicely in this. So basically, it allows a almost, it's sort of like a modified version of Bardic Inspiration, but in many ways, uh, less potent and flexible, but pretty fun. Now, I, as for. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I have to interrupt. I've only just realized that the name Maleficent is probably based on the meaning of oh Malefic. Oh, God. Yes. <laughs> Gosh. I feel very silly for only just putting that together. Wait. This is like that person who tweeted, oh, it's called WandaVision because the main characters are Wanda and Vision. Hey, hey, not everyone is aware that Malefic is a word. Speaking about words, though, uh,. Aze's downtime seems going to be happening with another one of the NPCs in the village. Um, this one is, I believe their name is Hale, the uh, the historian, correct? Correct, yeah. So once again, we can start by introducing the area. I think uh, from an outsider's perspective, it looks like any other little log cabin in the village. And actually, I should do this because Chris did this. Uh, Hi, only in episode four. So my name is uh, Michael Skitchiano or Skitch. You can oh find God. me on Twitter at Skitch, uh, at Skitch Music and on Patreon at patreon.com slash Skitch. But yes. Uh, <laughs> Chris traumatized me so badly last episode by ignoring it that I wasn't even going to put up a fight. Now everyone's doing it. Well, you say everyone. I seem like a like, you know, bad rebel who's not done it now. I seem worse <laughs> by comparison. We'll, 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 it'll, it'll sound perfect in post. Anyways. <laughs> But yes, so let's establish the 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 building that Hale works in. I believe it is basically a library, an actual library in town. So from the outside, you wouldn't be able to tell that it looks like just any other small wooden structure, like the houses we established that the the main cast live in. But when you open the door, you find yourself in you know Grendel's Library of Alexandria. It is. A, <laughs> Floor to ceiling, uh, hall after hall of books. Uh, every direction, just these uh, dusty old shelves. It's like uh, you know the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark, where they take the crates. Mm-hmm. It's just books as far as the eye can see. The building is bigger on the inside. There's no other non Doctor Who way to say it. I'm sorry. Wow. Okay. So yeah, Aze will enter and just gaze about he is dressed in one of it dressed as usual in his robes with one of his various scarves and such takes a peer around and tries to locate 
Hell before just calling out. Hale, are you nearby? Uh, I think you hear the sound of, you know, those ladders they have in libraries and mm-hmm. they kind of like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They like on rails that go down the rows of books. I think you hear like the distant sound of uh, one of those coming towards you, but it's like several blocks away <laughs> because of the size of this place in here. And I was able just sort of let a, a content sign have a and lean on one of the tables at the end of that particular row of books watching as this this ladder just sort of s- smoothly slides for an unreasonable amount of time towards him yeah it's like the austin powers p joke where it just goes on so long it's not funny anymore and then it gets funny again because of how long it's it's taking <laughs> uh, but eventually you see hail uh on this big ladder that's uh sliding towards you hail is a dragonborn goblin um so obviously someone who has dragon in their their family history but unlike the other goblins you've seen so far who have uh, uh you know unusual or like four D vanilla have unusual parentage uh this person does not identify as a goblin first and foremost if you ask hale uh he's a dragonborn but the the, the goblinoid features are still there the shorter statue the the kind of uh mischievous uh teeth situation the longer ears mm-hmm. uh, but otherwise a purple dragonborn um the pronouns are he him but cosmignon's art uh has him in a skirt i think is or a dress i'm bad at fashion i I think i think it's a skirt yes uh with a with a looks to be a vest uh blazer combo you know it's a very stylish yeah, I didn't specify any pronouns uh, to Cosmignon. I wanted to give her kind of you know freedom to design however she felt in her heart. But when I saw Hale's uh, design, I immediately said he him ha- just happens to wear dresses and skirts, and that's that's his vibe as he kind of slides over to you on these stairs, just arms full of mm. books. You've seemed like you've been rather busy as usual. <laughs> Yeah, well, finally, I have some time away from all the tourists to get some reading done, and I have all these people yapping at me, trying to ask what secret ways up the mountains and so forth. Mm, indeed. I have my own work to do. I have all of these notes to filter through, and Ozzy just sort of reaches into his little messenger bag and then pulls out, like, a stack of papers and just sets them down on the desk, and it's just a bunch of notes written in different languages showing little dots of where stars might be in the sky this particular batch seems to be more voluminous than before and this will take a good amount of winter to fully sort through i figure well we talked about this before i say you know my friend dewey decimal he can't be having a stack like that you gotta you know genre alphabetical come on there's a whole system what are you doing with that mess <sighs> i uh, i haven't had time to sort through these the uh the Miracolian, the the Shores, the the Yokai. It's all been a rather busy early start to this winter here. Well, if you don't make time to organize, you'll spend twice as long cleaning up. That's what I always say. Uh, I've heard that before as well. But speaking of the Yokai that we recently had, did you hear much about it? 
Oh, yeah, I heard Governor Gigi was kicking up a fit, saying that the Moist Watch let it into town, is blaming you for all the, the food that got destroyed. But apparently Farmer Applewhite said it was her fault because she sent you out to get the seeds. So I guess uh, officially it's her fault, but, you know, nobody pays, pays attention to what the governor says. Uh, it's, furthermore, there's no real advantage gained by trying to find someone to uh, assign blame to. We have more pressing matters to deal with anyway, in term, including fi figuring out our ration situation for the winter. Well, if Governor Gigi ain't going to spend his days assigning blame, what's he going to do in that office? Raise taxes on the, the tum-tums? Or, or fail to approve proposals, I suppose, but... That does sound like fun. I'd love to deny some proposals. The, so the, were you told about the origin of the yokai, apparently? Or at least the supposed origin of it. No, I have some yokai books set aside, but you know they're pretty far down the queue. You know how it is. They're the new releases. You get right in there, and it's like, oh, I've been meaning to read this one for a couple years now. I got it on sale back when the the summer sales were real good, and now I just got like four hundred of them. With that being said, the supposed origin of this yokai was one of the travelers that passes through the town. Apparently, they someone must have been denied food by some of the travelers. The, the individual in question perished, and in so perishing, their spirit was restless and demanded some sort of proper rest or at least revenge for what caused their demise. Well, that, that's a sorry tale. Folks be like that outside of our little village, though. If you ain't got money, you ain't gonna, go, ain't gonna eat because nobody watching out for you. We we out here, we got each other's backs, but it's it's rough out there. We resolved the yokai in one of two ways. We we ingested it, well, slime ingested it, and allowed their body to perish in such a way to satisfy the yokai's needs. But it does mean that the the body of the perished might be. Outside of the town, outside of Grendel, possibly out near where the giants are. Oh, yeah. That's nasty business. Frost giants let us live here. And the only condition is we can't be bothering them, especially not during the winter. So I was considering either heading out there at some point during the winter or perhaps even during the spring to try to recover the body and give it a proper burial in town. So I'm pretty sure that Sun Moon Stars would be more than happy to accommodate that if necessary. I think Hale like slides down the ladder because he's been up there the whole time just like listening but not dismounting, just arms full of books. Uh, but at this point he slides down, like sets them down on the, the step and says, hmm, I think... I think we keep some kind of log of travelers, at least people making, you know, significant purchases or, you know, who's a what's it's what's abouts. Maybe uh, we got the name. We can use the name, match it up with some kind of local wherever they done come from. And then maybe you can do their whole star chart and maybe that'll lead us to them because we ain't just going to walk around the mountain willy nilly. <laughs> it's a big mountain. A lot of frost giants who want to, you know, punt a guy who gets in their face. You do bring up a point. I can see what I can figure out about this. What else do you need besides the name? I know you explained this to me before, but I've been thinking a lot about a lot of things. I've got a lot of 
papers that need my attention. So I forgot. I done forgot the whole explanation. You need the name. You need the birthday. What else? How does this work? The as far as I have grown to understand this over the past many years is that as as we know now, there is both stars above and below and people have derived power from the stars for a long amount of time stars themselves are very powerful energy is focused within them they radiate energy they give off heat in some cases and what we find is that certain formations seem to provide additional power amongst themselves so there is countless signs that can be found in the foundation below and the firmament above and the job that i take on that those in my line of work take on is to determine which signs are the most significant the ones that imbue the most power and understand how they work the added factor here is the fact that the stars move in opposite directions and at different speeds so at any time they have unique pairings that gives us ideas of the motion of time itself. And this allows us to figure out uh, what signs would be present upon someone's birth and what signs guide them through their lives. So you're saying when I was born, there was like a bunch of stars below me that meant something and a bunch of stars above me that meant something. And then they also mean something together. And that's like why I like reading and, and other, <laughs> other people hate reading. The your signs in particular are shown right upon my arm. The eye indicates seeking knowledge, insight, and observation. The scroll both indicates knowledge written down as well as the potential for information to be written. And in this combination, it it suggests that of a scribe, one who reads and writes to obtain information and knowledge and understanding of the world around them. That all makes sense. I daydream about books the way some people daydream about girls, you know what I'm saying? I have similar uh, fascinations, though, not necessarily with books, but with, as we can tell, the stars themselves. But everyone, as far as I can tell, is born with such signs around them, and the relationships shift and change over time in their meaning. What are your stars, Starboy? There's a sort of, there's a sl there's a slight pause from Aze as he's asked this, and Aze will gesture over to the plates on the glass plates on the table. He rotates them so that the eye and scroll are the closest one adjacent to each other, and then he rotates the the plate with the eye on it until a tree is adjacent to the scroll and he gestures and says this these are the signs that were present upon my birth this is known as the lineage the tree indicating a the foundation and the long the long age of a family and the scroll indicating the records that can be found within this sounds like homework. I love homework. There's plenty of writings I've had to do to consolidate this as well as much as I can. In part because, well, whenever people are traveling through, they will see my home and come to get their fortunes read by me, which I'm happy to oblige, though sometimes I think those that 
come to partake in my services, think of it more as just theatrics rather than actually useful for their lives. Well, you have to admit, it sounds kind of silly, doesn't it? The stars make you do stuff like, oh, you were born and there were some stars in the shape of a tree, so now you love trees or whatever you said. That don't really make sense to me. I read a lot of science books. So little, you know, that's not how they say. Well, you have to remember that every sign in above themselves and every combination of the signs have multiple meanings. And on top of that, it's partially based on whatever their relationship is. Some relationships are beneficial. They they are harmonious, and some ben- and some relationships are conflicted, and some are hostile, and all that can relate to different interpretations of these different signs. So, do you have a handy list available to read to the audience, just in case they're curious what the star signs are that you have available? Not maybe not time for all the combinations, but I, I'm li- oh, I'm literally working on that to publish it. Hopefully, by the time this episode drops, I'll have a an. I'll have something listed. If I do, I will have it in the Discord, and I'll also provide a link that can be shared um, for the episode when it publishes. It kind of outlines Aze's principal notes about what the stars are and even what the names of the combinations are, but not necessarily explaining the meanings of the signs, just simply what they are. All right. So we'll get more of that in character as we go forward, but that's the basics, is that there are stars above and below, the, the signs mean something separately and also together, and it works very much like astrology in our world. Uh, I, last thing I would say here as you're, you finish explaining this to Hale uh, is that there, in addition to all the books here, because this isn't just a, a library, like Hale is a historian, not a librarian. So if they follow uh, you know, the long corridors here between the bookshelves, there are some like employee-only <laughs> doors uh, hail's the only employee but they just say like employees only um and he can disappear behind there and there's some you know that he has some uh historical artifacts he studies as well and i think he tells you mm-hmm. uh so i finished uh investigating some of that stuff i was telling you about before um neither one i, I have that much use for right now uh but i think maybe they'll be helpful to you and your you know your moist watch duties and so forth you want you think about taking one of them one of the artifacts you've been working on, uh, certainly. Uh, what in particular were you suggesting in this case? Yeah, I was telling you before, I had uh, two two items in from far away. I was kind of looking into them. They both seem interesting, but not, you know, they're not kind of front of the museum material, not enough information to really sell them to an audience. So I, I got a book here, real interesting book. You open it and fire comes out. <laughs> Don't know what the heck's up with that, but it seems pretty cool. Uh, and then I got these two... Uh, Two knives, two daggers that they uh, you, they always seem to go together. Like you try to take one into another room and you'll turn around and they're both there. Very, very interesting, very sneaky. I think given what we've been dealing with lately, the book might be more immediately useful. In the very least, uh, keeping that book away from your collection might be uh, prudent just for safety reasons. All right, so you want to take the book? Aze will take the book, yes. All right. Add, I have it here written in, on my just my sheet of items as burning book, and we'll find out what that does going forward. But that's a, an item that Hale will give to you. Uh, kind of what Hale's doing throughout the, you know, the season, throughout the winter, is just like looking at old artifacts that people have sent to him to study. And when he studied, studied them all up, um, some of them will become available for your use if you continue to, to hang out with him. I got that marked down on my sheet there, but 
Yeah. No, I think we've established the Zodiac stuff, established Hale's situation. Mm-hmm. Mari? Okay, so what I did is I went to the graveyard, and I just want to add that um, I tried to make my character non-sexual nude, but I think that wasn't not sexual enough. So okay. in our minds, whatever is the amount of slime thickness and disgustingness to make this current form as non-sexual as possible, that's what they look like. Okay. It's a, it's it's an instant ten dollar effect, effectively. Even more, like if that's not enough, that they're just like, a walking cocoon of slime, if need be. Just just more, yeah. Like if that's not non-sexual enough, imagine whatever you want. Anyway, so <laughs> I like that though because now that all the tourists have left, it's just your closest friends, and they know your they know your slime. They don't. You don't need to put up this facade for everyone else that you're some kind of person. <laughs> Just be a just be a slime on a talking meat stick. It should be noted that slime never intended to deceive. They did tell you they're slime. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's your it's your fault if you didn't take it literally. <laughs> yeah, because you have to ask slime extremely direct questions. They're not going to elaborate. <laughs> I think, I think Neelith did okay at asking direct questions today. Yeah, you did great. Those were great questions. All I'm saying is when someone said, hey, who are you? What are you? And Slime said, Slime. They told you all the information. So (laughs) level six wizard, what's that like? Okay, level six wizard. What Slime did is they went to the graveyard and they made like a horrifying cocoon out of themselves and went inside. And inside was just pure goo. And they like squirmed around in it. And they learned they got more health, so their protective slime clothing is thicker than ever. It's glistening, healthy, beautiful. <laughs> a luscious coat of slime. Yeah, imagine like a healthy color of snot. Like, that's it. Oh, jeez. And um, I learned some new spells. Hold on. Let me go to my spell book. I learned absorb elements because I felt like, you know, that's kind of sucking in and figuring out how to do things comprehend languages because i feel like that would be important but now i see that neelith also has that Mm -hmm. false life this is all with with the help of our beautiful beautiful sketch by the way i wanted to give credit Mm -hmm. and yeah so that i got false life which is Gives you basically more hit points beforehand. And protection from evil and good. And I learned that from the gravekeeper simply because they're like evil and good. They're both terrible to stay away. It just seems like I'm a truly neutral character. I don't want to mess with these people who are way out there who are evil or good. Doesn't seem right to have any opinions. Like that. It doesn't seem right to have any opinions. <laughs> Our show is not political at all. <laughs> Our social is not political. It is, uh, it is developed by Ubisoft, therefore it's not political. Got it. The concept of morality is upsetting. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Six days in Grendel is not trying to make a statement about any atrocities. 
Um, I also got Earthbind, which is just going to be me, like, being all slimy and, like, grabbing in them with, like, disgusting, like, slimy, like, tendrils sticking up at them. Earthbind, the spell has been ruined by the magic card Earthbind, which is famously one of the really horny cards. Ooh. Mm -hmm. Wait, we're not being horny, though. This is disgusting. Think okay. of everything I say is the most disgusting way you can think. Opposite I don't think of that, horny. I, I don't, for some, I don't think that I don't think it's mutually exclusive. No, uh, this, if you are horny for for gross things, think the opposite of whatever's turning you on. <laughs> Only people with slime fetishes are allowed to make sexy slime. Yeah, and even then, think of dry. If you're attracted to slime, this is crusty slime. <laughs> why is why are you kick shaming? Because this is a no horny zone. And we all we all agreed, no horny. Good luck. Alright, and then <laughs> And then I got uh I think I got web or was that before? There was definitely uh someone commented and was brought up that there was you could you, that slime needed more spells, so we worked things out and shore up the difference there. So slime is well packed full of spells now. But web is one of the new ones too, yes. I just wanted to be as disgusting as possible. I was thinking like a mixture between the thing from the thing and an actual slime mold. So like Fantastic. I was gonna do something with the boob just hanging out. Oh but I'm not because I didn't I was intentionally trying to make that not horny, but it's because it's a boob. I think <laughs> it's too horny. <laughs> <laughs> But essentially, it could have networked with other, like, found, like, pieces of matter and, like, had been a boo with, like, centipede legs or something. It would have been cool. But we can't do it. <laughs> a lot of people are predicting that this is going to be the thing season and that I didn't have those plans, but you're bringing a lot of those flavors to the background. I'm not an evil thing. I just don't know what's happening. Why do you, yeah, don't judge The Thing from John Carpenter's The Thing by our moral standards. Who's yeah, to say they're it's evil? Just, it's just a thing. Yeah, it just wants to eat and scream and trick you. <laughs> Same. I don't know why I said that. The Thing and I go way back, but here's the thing. I don't agree with everything The Thing does. And for me, I do things differently. <laughs> Like the thing is getting canceled and you have to be like, I don't agree with all their Twitter statements, but we go way back, me and the thing. The thing and I, both of us being organic compounds that ingest matter in mass quantities in order to gain mass. Yeah, we have those in common. But do I eat living people? Not anymore, unless they pose a danger to me personally. And I don't like them. But not, I'm not the thing, okay? So we're not related. Please don't at me. <laughs> You're not related. You just <laughs> both have a, the same last name, which is not having a last name at all. A slime yes, thing. Yes, Well, the. <laughs> first first name, the. <laughs> okay, well. <laughs> the blob is also friends with the thing. You know what? The blob actually, you should talk to the blob, actually. Does the blob have all the dirt on the thing? The blob is more problematic than the thing. The blob. Does, does people... the blob have the receipts? <laughs> There's a whole movie. Okay. It's a documentary about how the blob tore people's families apart slowly. 
by 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 sedition and other means, not yes. through actual violence. It was yes. it was very it was it's a very thought provoking piece to say the least. It is what a, what a cool Thanksgiving though. Slime the blob and the thing all just sitting around sucking on bodies. Hey, I'm sucking on already deceased bodies. Just clarifying. Unlike your unlike your your reactionary cousins, Blob and Thing, who are eating the flesh off of live people, and you disown that. Yeah, I simply sit back and not do anything about it. <laughs> Which is noble. Yes. <laughs> I don't even know what this like went from political to just like using the f- words. Just I don't even know what this means anymore. I never intended for it to have an allegory to anything directly akin. I just that sneaks up on you though. If you do this kind of stuff long enough, you'll just find yourself in allegory land. Oops, I'm eventually. in like 18th century like clock war discourse. Oops, um, <laughs> but I went to the graveyard and I like you know took all the micronutrients from all like random dead bodies and leveled up. And made this body a little bit stronger, a little thicker mucus m- membrane. There's some harder parts, like when you find a harder piece of snot in your <laughs> snot. You know, that's like. <laughs> I mean, your character has a brilliantly built in like narrative reason for leveling up is that when you slurp up a new body, you just get all their memories and you're like, oh, this person knew this spell. So that's all just perfect. Yeah. And also, you know, when I have more. When I've recovered more of myself, I can do more things. Mm-hmm. Now, do you want to uh, paint a picture of the cemetery? Because I feel like this is probably one of the places you spend the most time. I would say it's a modest cemetery of a modest village. A lot of simple headstones. Sometimes it sticks. Sometimes it's different things that represent the different cultures that have come here. Yeah, because this is mostly a, a place where like outsiders would get buried, people who die in the mountain or die up on the surface and then get carried back down or any number of things. You you think probably the number of locals who die is pretty low. I know pe- some people found out Gravedigger is one of the characters. They're like, how can you have a full-time Gravedigger in a place with only 10 notable NPCs? And I think it's actually mostly people who none of you know personally, which is why it's probably not as upsetting to be constantly taking these bodies because these are... Like, you know, to you, they're randos, essentially. Must, they're very nutritious randos. <laughs> That's the best kind of rando, is a nutritious yes. <laughs> rando. Um, well, also, people like to spread wildflower seeds in all the graves so that they grow on top of the graves. So it's always, it's very pretty here, but also there's a lot of death. And then there's me sucking nutrients out of the ground into a pod full of snot. Yeah, so I imagine these these must be like magically frost resistant wildflowers, like a native species or something here. And this is like one of the the really verdant places on the the mountainside. So that's that's a nice notable feature is that there are these these flowers here. I think uh, probably while you're in your slime pod cocoon thing uh, on a nearby uh, simple, almost probably unadorned headstone, uh, sits the grave digger, who I, we will not introduce properly. Uh, she saw you toss a penis into the forest in the last episode, which is a great story she gets to tell now. Oh, that's my gift. <laughs> Can you imagine just seeing somebody toss a penis? Well, it was upsetting people, so I didn't want anyone to be upset. We can't talk about the penis anymore either. That's too horny. 
Sue horny. Penises are not in- uh, penises are not inherently horny. Well, this penis suffered. In case anyone wants to know, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> that, that can be horny. <laughs> penis suffering can be horny. One person say, "Hey, I was hoping this would be less horny." I was like, "It's me. I've made it horny. I have to be. I have to quadruple down on no horniness. I have to be as disgusting as possible." Here's the problem: the harder you try to make it not horny, the more you're just gonna. You're just gonna drill into someone's very specific horny. Yeah, yeah. It's just one of the things when it's just just do it. Just treat it like most people treat like problems. They just 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 don't draw attention to it. Okay, it's fine. It's okay. Fine. <laughs> okay. So the grave digger's name is Sun Moon Stars. Just those three words. Uh, Sun Moon Stars is a goblin. Like many of the goblins here, uh, she has uh, a little bit of an unusual family history. She has she is an Asimar, which means she has uh, a celestial in her family somewhere. Uh, celestial essentially encompasses angel and angel adjacent beings. So she looks like a goblin, you know, goblin height, kind of goblin uh, face, goblin ears, goblin teeth. But she is glowing all the time. Most importantly, her eyes, which are just like two industrial flashlights. Like in the dead of night, if she's outside, <laughs> you can just see the whole street when she's out. Uh, it's very funny to me. <laughs> I love the way, the way her eyes and these illustrations are just fully out there doing their thing. Uh, can I just give props to one of their ancestors for being a goblin who somehow had sex with an angel? The the the, the one that got with an angel, like I, I reckon they were writing the cred off that story for many years. Like yeah, yeah, look at look at me, look at what I mm. look at my my child. It glows. Yeah, look, I'm not lying. My favorite <laughs> is Far- Farmer Applewhite, who's a Goliath because that's goblin and giant, which is just a fun thing. For your brain that's, to that's think. like the equivalent of like a chihuahua greyhound mix like absolutely which is why her being just such a delightful normie is a blessing to me personally <laughs> um but yeah you're in your slime cocoon pod sun moon stars is sitting on a headstone just kicking her little feet uh <laughs> waiting for you to come out as she like looks up at this you know the the portal above and the the snow coming down and her eyes are just like cutting through with these powerful high beams in the, in the darkness uh, I think other notable features about her is she has uh, big muddy boots on and they're like really high waisted pants. She was dressed very uh, like plainly, just very like peasant, uh, you know, fifteenth century French peasant kind of garb. But the pants are wild; they're so high. Um, I think they're cute and very in. So okay, okay, thank She's you. She's mad style in there for sure. Yeah, they frame her boobs. I just want to note, I feel like ASMRs need to get a new name because it sounds like somebody looked up ASMR videos <laughs> but didn't know how acronyms work, so they just pronounced it phonetically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And now I can't separate the two things in my mind. I, I like to think that Sun Moon Stars does like, uh, if, if web streaming was a thing, they would just do like a live stream of them digging a grave. AMSR burials. AMSR burials, yeah, you got it. Just put the microphone real close to the uh, the dirt so you can just hear the the the, the asthma sounds of the dirt being ASMR done. POV. You're being buried alive. <laughs> I'm filling you with embalming fluid. It feels great, doesn't it? You're gonna suffocate on your own oxygen. <sighs> your bowels have voided themselves. <laughs> I will not clean it up. Your lungs have fully collapsed. 
You're not gonna kill your. You're not gonna kill Bill your way out of this one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Austin didn't want to do the ASMR voice, so this is Joey here to make sure you all have an enjoyable experience. That one had a big brain on him. How's it taste? Aged and sad, full of regrets. Ah, uh, so are you going to do anything he wanted to take care of? No, he's dead. <laughs> Slime, you have infinite time. Have empathy. I don't have em- infinite empathy. Why not? Just isn't in me. I only know what I've experienced. Well, surely you've eaten someone with empathy before, haven't you? Can't you absorb it through that? I can remember their memories of empathy, and I can experience other people dying and other people feeling things, but I don't feel them myself because I don't have receptors for pain or things like that. But I can know what it feels like if I integrate with somebody who is feeling pain. Hmm. So you have this very novel experience of being cut in half, but since you can't experience pain, never had the full Monty of what it's really like. I think I feel pain when I'm integrated with a system that feels pain. But to me, it's a sensation. And to you, it's something that's bad. But wait, aren't you're made up of a bunch of different slimes? And she reaches down. She's got like a shovel propped up against the gravestone. She grabs it and uses it to kind of push away some of the slime from the main slime body. So this is you. Pokes your main body. Yes. And this is you. Pokes the separate slime. Yes. And so some of you can die and some of you can live. Yes. But the parts of me that die make me forget what I learned. Oh. My entire body is my brain. Does that make you the smartest one in the village? I used to be much, much smarter. Well, I should say I was more intelligent rather than smart. I knew things. What happened? Long ago, I was a spore on the wind, and I fell in a forest. And in that forest, I drank from the trees, and I knew what it was to be a tree. And then when animals died, I ate them, and I knew it was love, what it was to be an animal. And it took me a long time, and I grew very big, and I was as big as the forest, and I was under the ground. And when droughts came, I pulled water from the ground up to the roots. And when troubles came, I tried my best to help the forest. Eventually, I learned that I could move the little animals that fell on top of me if I wanted to. And then I learned that I could catch them and move them even when they were alive. And I made the forest beautiful, and I made it strong and healthy. And one day, a village came, 
And I loved them very much because I found them so interesting to watch. But one of them was always drunk, so I couldn't ever integrate with him. Unfortunately, they tried to farm for themselves, and they didn't have enough food for each other, and they kept dying. So what I did, thinking I could save them, because I was eating their dead, I knew that all of them were hiding food. So I came back as one of them and explained to them what they had to do, but they were scared, and they set me on fire. So then I sent another one and tried to explain, but they set me on fire again. So I came back as one of their children, because I knew that they liked their children, and they didn't set me on fire that time. So I took my chance, and I controlled all of their minds and made sure that they all shared their food, and they lived. But the only one I couldn't get to was William, because he was always drunk, and I can't take over people who are drunk because the alcohol in their system kills me. But he was my favorite, because he was always trying to die, and I always had to save him. But what happened this time is that the village was wonderfully, wonderfully ran. Everyone had food, everything had, everyone had what they needed. But William taught me a valuable lesson that that didn't matter because people don't like being controlled. So he poured all of his alcohol on all of the cabins and on all of the trees, and he set me on fire because it was better that they be dead than be controlled by me. And I took that lesson to heart. And as I watched in my final body, William burning to death, and I told him I would take him with me as I try to learn better. And I forgot almost everything, but I took William with me, and here I am today. So I think Sun Moon Stars closes her eyes as if to think about this, which just immediately plunges the cemetery into darkness as a side effect of her thinking deeply. And then she says, so what you're saying is alcohol is bad uh alcohol is bad for me well i can't integrate with alcoholic things austin has tricked us all and that is now what the show is about (laughs) (laughs) oh just wait until we go meet the bartender and have to have the big nobody have a drink episode so controlling everyone's minds to do what I want them to do isn't bad? The, the final boss is going to be a sword fight between the bartender and everyone who wants to drink alcohol. <laughs> the bartender only makes drinks but never serves them. <laughs> yeah, they're for looking only. Don't touch. <laughs> you, 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 you can appreciate it on a platonic level, not on a physical level. No, William's alcoholism, well, I shouldn't say alcoholism, uh, tendency to drink and what made him different is what saved everybody. <laughs> so what you're saying is we should all be drunk all the time. Okay, I understand the moral of the season. Uh, Sun Moon Stars hops down off the gravestone. Joe is gone now, so I have to try the ASMR voice. Uh, she says, Well, that was suitably disturbing for one night. Want to help fill in the hole? Of course, and fear not. I know that you don't want me to take over your mind and do that for you. Well, 
I'll try anything once. Well, so you know, I can make all of the nerves in your body light up. What? Tell me more. (laughs) Hold on. (laughs) That's it, my love. (laughs) Wait, what? Oh, that took a turn. And then I go back to just rolling my body to pushing into the the dirt in the hole. Uh Uh-huh. Just doing it in the weirdest, strangest ways possible. Like, just rolling it in, pushing it in with my feet. Just doing it all, trying to figure out what's best. Yeah, I think uh, the shovel Sun, Moon, Stars has is like magic because it can cut through like frozen ground where... Uh, normal sho- shovels wouldn't be able to, but it's like the the principle of the thing. It's like the art of gravekeeping is putting it all back in by hand. Yeah, I think so. It's more about the experience of you two doing it together. I'm shoving dirt into my mouth and then spitting it into the grave. You know, just like seeing if I can pile it on my back and then crawl over. Just experimenting, seeing how I can do it different ways. So actually, make me an animal handling check to end this episode. Let's see how you and Kat are getting along. <gasps> oh, no! <laughs> what, what, what is the number that you rolled? Eight! Uh, oh, can I try and help with a, um, uh, uh, what's it called? Bardic Inspiration. I mean, it's, it's, better, it's better than it was the first time. I think it's the important thing. It's progress. <laughs> I um, <laughs> N- Neelith, seeing that this is going poorly, um, tries to coax the cat into being more uh, positive in its response by just having some food behind slime. So it's like, ah, oh, yes, food, food is here. Ba- pay attention to slime. Okay, so slime fails the roll. So the Miramicolian sinks its lion fangs into her forearm and is like about to tear the arm off. And then you like kind of slide into the background of the the scene with like a uh, fucking lasagna. <laughs> <laughs> lasagna, yeah, lasagna here, you know. And the Miramicolian's like sniff, sniff, sniff and like drops the arm. And <laughs> slime's like, oh, see, he likes me now. <laughs> and just does, does not. Take in the full situation. <laughs> no, this is how cats play. Mm. I've seen it. Uh, so what is the moist watch doing uh, the next time the moist signal is sounded? Because it's not right away. I would say probably like two weeks pass. Uh, the, the winter is long and it's not uh, action, action, action all day, every day. There's a lot of just kind of small town village life. But what are you, do- what are you doing when the, the next time the call comes in? I'm I'm fighting the urge to suggest that we're all just back in the headquarters, still debating whether to go to Fantasy Schmorida. <laughs> I, I I would I, if if we were doing that, then I'm pretty sure Drip is like sticking their head through a window, just listening in on the conversation, been following and hanging out with Aze as much as possible. I have a very fancy new hat. Okay, how fancy that hat? So I imagine like a top like a top hat but like it's just covered in gears that are just moving constantly uh and uh its size seems to increase and and grow sometimes depending on how many of the gears are moving (laughs) okay i i think i think maybe um and neelith is in the corner of the headquarters uh just cutting some extra tentacle holes into some clothing 
Yeah. I would say, Aze, you you have a book which has a bunch of interesting forbidden knowledge in it. Only one party member can attune to it, and you have two party members, I would say, defined by their love of knowledge. Who who would you give the book to? Well, I would I would definitely offer the I would offer up the book on the table. Like basically the only thing I would figure Aze is doing during this is he has like the almost like the conspiracy tutorial sort of look on the one of the walls with all the different notes being pinned up to try to create a map from the notes that he's been working on. But he'll have the book kind of on the table and essentially offering it to both uh, the genius of Grendel and a slime, essentially. See if either of them would be interested in having such a tome that, among other things, can, well, shoot fire out of itself. Can I uh, put on my my little detect magic glasses? Oh yeah, uh, it's a, this is a magic item for sure. So you can do that for free with your little bifocals. This is an extremely magical book. One of you will have to attune, attune to it to figure out the way it works. Wait, slime wants to attune, see if it was for them too, and I just kind of just slap it. <laughs> you, you slap it? I slap it so some slime gets on it. See if I like it. Can I open the book? Uh, if you, if yeah, if you, if if you open it, you're claiming it. Oh, uh, what if I uh, take uh, a mage hand and I have it grab a stick uh-huh. and I just tap it open from afar? Okay, I think the genius of Grendel uses mage hand to pick up a stick and starts probing the book. Uh, and while that's happening, it's kind of like scooting across the table and like the cover is like too heavy to lift uh, right away. And you're trying to get a better angle on it when the moist signal cuts through the quiet afternoon. <sighs> we, we can we can figure out who can use this item at a later time, I suppose. It appears that Gigi has need of our service again. Oh, but Bloops did not tell me anything as invaded. <laughs> I wonder what it is this time. Uh, so the party goes over to where the sound of the moist signal came from. Um, and you see at the top of a uh, kind of snow bluff, you see the governor standing there looking very severe, uh, holding the bagpipes. They're like magical uh, bagpipes that have been handed down from governor to governor in the village. And he is standing there looking very concerned. He is once again uh, a tiefling or a, a fiendish goblin. So he's got, mm-hmm. you know, goblin stature, little horns, little hooves. But he's like wearing his little capelet and standing there looking, looking stern. What's up? You summon the wet ones. And the governor doesn't answer in words. He just gestures to the snowbank the whole of which has turned crimson. That's a, that's a problem. Uh, just a huge, alarming patch of snow has turned blood red, like strawberries in summertime. That's a problem in a very small town. There's very few people it could have come from. Swallowed in their coats With scars of red tied round their throats To keep their little heads From falling in the snow And I turn round And there you go And Michael you would fall And 
Turn the white snow red and strawberries in the summertime.